operating principles of the kingdom of heaven. We have to learn them. And who better to learn them from than the, uh, than the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom of heaven. And so he has blessed us by teaching us through parables uh, truths about the kingdom of heaven. If we want to thrive spiritually, if we want a blessed relationship with God, then we need to uh, learn from Jesus how to have that, right? And so that's what these parables are about. Now, last week I pointed out that contrary to popular opinion, parables were not intended to make the truth uh, more, ac e more easily accessible or easier to understand. In fact, Jesus uh, taught in parables as a form of judgment against the unbelief in Israel. Uh, it, he, the parables were, uh, yes, it revealed the truth, but you had to kind of think harder about it, and you had to continue to follow Jesus oftentimes to get the explanation. So parables are, um, they kind of require more effort to get to the truth. But they do reveal the truth, right? Uh, yes, Jesus in the second half of his ministry taught exclusively in parables, uh, but he was still revealing deep spiritual truth, life-changing spiritual truth, truth that can revolutionize and, uh, our lives. And, and so the question for us is, are, do we believe, like the Apostle Peter, do we believe that Jesus is uh, worth listening to? Do we believe that he has something to say that can uh, better our lives? Here's what uh, Peter told Jesus. In John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, a lot of people um, heard Jesus' teaching and said, this is just too hard, I'm out of here. And, and Jesus actually looked at his own 12 and said, well, what about you guys? Do you want to leave me too? And then Peter said this. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, Peter, and hopefully we, have come to believe and know that, that Jesus has the words of eternal life, and there's no one else to go to. If we want to learn how to thrive spiritually then we've got to follow Jesus Christ because we have no alternative. So are we willing to do the hard work and the, the, the lifetime of following Jesus in order to um, uh, take in for ourselves these glorious truths that he teaches us? Really quickly, here are the nine parables we are going to look at during this series. Last week was the parable of the soils. This week, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Next week, the mustard seed, then hidden treasure, then unmerciful servant, then the workers in the vineyard, then the wedding banquet, then the ten virgins, and finally, the parable of the talents. If you miss any of these sermons, you can uh, listen online at clearwater.church, or you can find them on um, iTunes podcast. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and we will read today's parable. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, uh, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So his servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. If that's all we got, who here would figure out the meaning of the parable of the weeds? Maybe you would. Maybe you would. But I suspect that a lot of the crowd heard it and thought, interesting, and then moved on and didn't benefit from the, the deep truth, the revelation about the kingdom that Jesus gives here. Some might have thought about it for a little while and... and um, Maybe come up, maybe gotten close, I don't know. Fortunately, or thankfully, Jesus' disciples, uh, later on when they were alone, asked Jesus, what did that mean? Please tell us the meaning of the parable of the weeds. And Jesus did. And they wrote it down, and we have it in, in the Gospel of Matthew. By the way, this, uh, Matthew is the only... Uh, the only evangelist who recorded this parable. So this is the only place we have the parable, unlike the parable of the soils, and we had mul it was told multiple in multiple gospels, and we could compare. This is the only, the only place we hear about the parable of the weeds. So what is the, you know, what's the explanation? Well, let's go. He tells it to us in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Okay, so the setting has changed, right? He gave the parable to the crowd. He's giving the explanation to the inner circle, those who are following him for a lifetime. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. This should make you feel good. Hey, if the, if the 12 apostles can't figure some of this stuff out, okay, we don't need to feel so bad. Right? They needed an explanation. So do we. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. So first thing he does is he begins to identify the actors. All right. Let me tell you who's who in the parable. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Son of man is the Jesus' preferred uh, self-title. He often refers to himself as the Son of Man. So he's saying, I'm the sower of the good seed. The field is the world. So I'm sowing a good seed into all the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So the good seed are the men and women who hear my uh, gospel the good news about the kingdom, and who receive it in faith. Basically, the good seed are Christians. 
those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ and are following him right up to heaven. That's a good seed. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So weeds are unbelievers. And the, uh, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So here's the way it should go. The king uh, has come to earth, and he's proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. And as people hear the good news of the kingdom, they should respond with joy and faith and enter into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of heaven, and uh, get away from their slavery to sin and evil and brokenness. And that's the way it should go. And so the kingdom should just uh, expand across the universe. Unfortunately, there's an enemy, the evil one, the devil, who sows lies and convinces people that the good news of the gospel is not good news for them. And they say, no, thank you. The harvest is the close of the age. Elsewhere in Scripture, we realize that that is, uh, right now we are living in what is called the church age, inaugurated uh, at Pentecost, right after Christ rose from the dead. We're in the church age, that's the current age, and this current age will come to a close. There's coming a time in which uh, the church age will end, and, we, and, and then we'll begin uh, what we call the, the eschaton, the forever, uh, the time uh, eternity. And the reapers are the angels. Okay, so now we know the actors uh, of the parable. Now to the point. Now this is very important. This parable was intended to reveal something about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to dot, dot, dot. So the, the, you've got to be asked the question, what does this parable reveal to us about the kingdom of heaven and the nature of the kingdom of heaven? And so here's the lesson. By the way, I should note that there, there are some actors in the parable who are not identified by Jesus, which means they're not important to his point, right? And so sometimes as interpreters, we want to... Um, draw a, we want to make an understanding uh, or a parallel uh, with every detail in the parable, and that's actually not um, the proper way to handle parables. Jesus tells us the point. Here we go, verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is here teaching what theologians call the already not yet principle. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but it's not yet here in its final form. Now, when I was a kid, frankly, up until yesterday, no, that's not true, but mostly when I heard kingdom of heaven, I thought about it in terms of that place in the sky where God dwells and I'm going to go be with him after I die, 
right? But the kingdom of heaven is bigger than that. It encompasses that. But when Jesus came the first time, he said, the kingdom of heaven has come. It's here right now. It has been inaugurated with my arrival. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It started. It's, it has begun. And every time someone uh, bows the knee to Jesus as king, and every time we give Jesus greater lordship in our lives, the kingdom of heaven expands on earth. But Jesus is here reminding us or informing us that during the current age, during the church age, uh, God will allow to remain in his kingdom sin and uh, unbelief, but only for a time. There will come a time in which God will purge, Christ will purge from his kingdom all uh, wickedness of all kinds. And this would have been um, shocking to, to Jesus' uh, disciples because they had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And their theology was when the, the, when the Messiah arrives, he will set the world right. And so if you're, you know, Peter, John, Philip... You know, Jesus is the Messiah. He's come. So at any moment, he's going to, you know, set the world right, remove all brokenness and wickedness, and, uh, and usher in his glorious kingdom that we've all been waiting for for many, many years. And so Jesus is here teaching them and us that there's going to be an interim period, an interim period where I allow the devil to work, in the world, I allow unbelievers to remain in the world, and I allow sin and its, you know, the, the many causes of sin to remain in the world. And I'm sure that was maybe, you know, probably disappointing uh, on one level, right? Because uh, the righteous are saying, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, please. We long for it to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want that now. Why do we have to wait? Well, the reason there is this interim time is so that the world can hear the gospel and enter into the kingdom. And so we are told that uh, in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Actually, I'm going to read through 10. The Apostle Peter writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. And he's responding to Christians who are disappointed with the fact that Jesus has not yet returned, right? Hey, it's been a few years since he ascended back up into heaven. When's he coming back and setting the world right? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So why the interim period? Because God, who is patient and longs for everyone to put 
to, to come to faith and be saved wants to give us every chance possible. But he continues, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. There is going to come a day when I will purge from my kingdom, and make no mistake, Jesus is king of the universe right now. This is his kingdom. There is coming a day when I will purge all wickedness from my kingdom. All causes of sin and all lawbreakers will be rounded up and cast into the lake of fire. They'll be removed from my kingdom. Now, there's a great, there's a warning in that, and there's a great hope in that. And the warning, of course, is don't be a weed, right? You don't want to be one of those who gets rounded up and cast into the, the fiery furnace. The fiery furnace or lake of fire here? It's the fiery furnace, yes. Either one would be bad, right? Yeah, so you don't, we don't want to be cast into the fiery furnace because there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, hey, let's make sure that we are wheat and not tares, as some translations say. And, and how do you do that? Well, you're a wheat if you have, like we talked about last week, you have responded with a good heart to the gospel. Right? You have embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're a Christian and you're following him. That's what makes you a wheat. So there's a warning. And I don't know your heart. You know your heart. God knows your heart. You know whether or not you are a wheat or a weed. And if you're a weed, uh, through me today, God is appealing to you. And he's saying, I don't want you uh, to die. I don't want any to perish. I want you to have life. And I, out of my mercy and love for you, I am being patient. But understand, uh, it's only for a time. And we don't know. We don't know if Jesus is going to return today. He could. There's nothing holding him back from returning today. He's certainly closer to returning than he was yesterday. And so we don't know how much time we have. So let's not presume upon God's patience. Because when Jesus Christ returns, then it's game over. It's time, time, time out, and we don't have any more opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's a warning, but there's also a great hope here, a tremendous hope. If you are a Christian, there's coming a day when all of the sin triggers, all of the brokenness, all of the wickedness is going to be removed out of our world. And we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. And think about that. All of the causes of sin. What are causes of sin? Well, uh, the fact that there are famines in the world. The fact that there are, is political corruption. The fact that there is, uh, there, there's poverty. The fact that there is abuse. 
The fact that there are, there are uh, dr uh, illicit drugs available and people pushing drugs on us. The fact that people uh, abuse us and cheat us and lie to us and yell at us and, and create these reactions inside. The fact that you can't go uh, do uh, search the internet without encountering some kind of uh, sensual temptation, right? And so if, if you're a Christian who, and you're tired of the fight against the temptations of the world, right? It's, just, it's exhausting trying to live uh, a righteous life in a world that is just ripe with, riddled with sin triggers. It's exhausting. And we're like, Lord, I look forward to the day where, where I'm not being uh, beckoned constantly to do something wrong, and people aren't pushing my buttons, and, and I'm not being tempted to, to sin. That's, that's a great hope, isn't it? Oh, that's going to be so, there's going to be such relief there, such joy there. Well, and right now, um, certainly in our society, being a Christian doesn't uh, necessarily advantage you, Right? Is doing life God's way, conducting business God's way, uh, going to get you an automatic promotion? Is it going to make you popular at school? Are you going to be the one everybody wants to hang out with? No, unfortunately, right now, um, being a serious follower of Christ and a vocal follower of Christ uh, will often kind of disadvantage you in society. That's going to change, man. There's coming a day in which uh, the only ones in the kingdom are the serious Christians. And the values of the Christian life and the Christian worldview and thought process and way of living, it's, that's going to be the the law of the land, the rule of the land, and the way, way things are done, and you're going to be applauded for your faith and your zeal and your love for Christ. Isn't that exciting? Then, not now, Jesus understands this. Right now, you're not shining like the sun. Right now, your glory is cloaked. It's not understood by the world. It's not applauded by the world, right? But then, there's coming a day when you're going to shine like the sun. All that you are and all that God has created you to be, you're going to just be beaming. And, and it starts on that day, and it never, never ends. It's from then on. From then on. You're not going to fight against sin. You're not going to be penalized for being a Christ follower you're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. And there will be no question uh, who rules the earth. It's Jesus Christ, the unchallenged King of kings and Lord of lords. He's in charge. And those who follow him are blessed. And we reign with him. Isn't that a great hope? Hope. And so Jesus knows. Jesus knew that you and I would be exhausted by living in this um, broken world, still filled with uh, sin triggers and lawbreakers. 
but he encourages us. It's only for a time. It, there's coming a day in which I'm going to send my angels and I'm going to round it all up and purge my kingdom of it, and it'll never be let back in from that point forward. So let's talk about how to thrive in the meantime, how to thrive in the current age. Number one, be salt and light in the world. Hey, why, why do we have the, the interim period? So that people can get saved. So what do you think that means about our purpose in life? Why has God allowed us to remain on earth so that we can partner with him in getting out the gospel and combating the work of the devil. Your purpose on earth is not to build a kingdom here right now because this world's going to get turned upside down. It's going to get consumed with fire. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And so any kingdom we build in this earth uh, that's just temporal, isn't, it's not going to last. So be salt and light in the world. Uh, let's not segregate ourselves and, and live in a cocoon. We're not here to just uh, be pure. We're here to be uh, salt and life, which, which means we need to be in the world, but not of the world. But we've got to be in the world. Being, in order to be salt and light, you've got to be uh, touching those around you, in, in, involved in the world. Number two, Leave, I have the word judging here, but I wish I had put the word purging. Leave purging to God. The, in the parable, the servants say, hey, do you want us to pull up the weeds right now? And he says, no, no. If you pull up the weeds, you'll, you'll end up harming the wheat too. So God says, you know, I'm, I'm going to have the reapers. I'm going to have my angels purge society. Uh, of wickedness. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Uh, so what does it mean? Well, I th think back when Constantine uh, became the first Christian emperor of Rome, and Constantine had power. And without this parable, maybe Constantine would have said, God wants me to uh, round up all the unbelievers and, and, you know, put a sword to their throat and say, convert or die. Right? He might have thought that. There are some religions that kind of think that. And Jesus said, that's not your role. Uh, you, need, you need to allow uh, the unbelievers to live amongst you um, right now during this current age. Now, we, it do, doesn't mean that we shouldn't evangelize them, absolutely. Elsewhere in, in Scripture, it's very clear that we should try to convince them of the good news of the gospel and call them to enter the kingdom uh, for their benefit. But we don't need to feel the responsibility of purging society. Yes, we are to combat evil and, and keep it tamped down in the world. But we leave the purging, the ultimate purging to God. Uh, number three, beware the causes of sin that tempt us. We live in a world where there are a lot of causes of sin. And it seems to be proliferating in our society, right? The farther we as a culture drift from our Judeo-Christian uh, moorings, uh, just the more sin is available and society accepts it and promotes it, 
and and there don't there doesn't there don't seem to be the societal restraints there were even 50 years ago and it seems like we can just dabble in all kinds of wickedness and nobody bats an eye well well god does right and so we need to be extra aware of and um let's not get cozy with the sin that we left behind when we chose to follow jesus christ we've got sin triggers all around us and let's beware Number four, maintain hope in the glorious age to come. Our best life is in front of us. And you know what? Some of you are very affected by the lawbreakers and the causes of sin. Some of you, uh, it is just, you're bumping up against it constantly, and it's exhausting, and you're and it can, you can get beaten down, and you can get discouraged, and you can want to give up or give in. Maintain hope. It's temporary. It's temporary. It's going to be taken out of your life. So maintain hope in the glorious age to come where you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. That is our future. And hope, hope is the difference maker, right? When we lose hope... Things go crazy, so keep that hope. And then finally, make sure you're a wheat and not a tear. Make sure you're a wheat and not a tear. Uh, the word Jesus uses uh, here in our text, weed, but elsewhere translated as tear, uh, it's a specific word, and that it's indistinguishable from a wheat in the early stages. It's only kind of at the, at the end when the wheat begins to grow the kernel, and then you can tell, hey, that's not a wheat. It doesn't have a kernel. Uh, and so some have said, okay, that must, Jesus must be talking about the church and the fact that the church can have within it unbelievers. Well, certainly there are, can be weeds in the church, right? And so we need to make sure we're not a wheat. But Jesus has said the field is the world. It's, he's not just talking about the church. He's talking about people anywhere on the planet. Uh, there are only two kinds of people in, in the end, a wheat or a weed, right? A Christian or a non-Christian. And that's how God will separate. Uh, other analogies are the, the sheep and the goat, right? Two kinds of people at the end, the ones who follow Christ and who are going to enter the kingdom and those who don't, who will be sent to the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the, the wheat and the sheep and the, the Christian is going to enter the kingdom. And so, can't hear this parable without asking the question, am I a wheat or am I a tear? Is my future going to be the kingdom of heaven or is my future going to be the fiery furnace? Which one do you think is better? Absolutely, and, and what determines it is our relationship to Jesus Christ. So let's pray.